title of the of the message today is Thy Kingdom Come. Thy Kingdom Come. When we turn to Luke chapter 11, the disciples are asking Jesus how they should pray and Jesus teaches them gives them some instruction. And this is what it says. We'll read the context. Now, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is, is great because he gives them bullet points of how they should pray. And he goes on to say, what, what person, having received a guest or somebody knocking on their door in the middle of the night, asking for bread, uh, he's not going to get up to help the guy because, you know, he, he wants to help him. He's going to get up so that he goes away and leaves him alone. And this is the illustration, the example that Jesus gives to us of how to pray to God the Father. I find it incredible how uh, so often we're, we're so much more willing to talk about the, our problems and talk about the issues and talk about how bad things are instead of praying about them. Instead of asking God, God, we know you hear us. God, we know you're listening. I'm going to bring this to you again and keep knocking on his door. I know that, uh, that you know, you will be faithful to answer, but this is something that I really need you, need you to do, Lord. I need from you. And this isn't selfish things. This is things like we're talking about, uh, our witness in this country, in the world. And God says, be diligent to continue to ask for certain things. Now, I know exactly how this is because when my kids want something, oh, man, I wish that they would just ask me once. And then I forget, and then I go on, and there's a couple of them that do that, but there's a couple of them that just will just ask and ask and ask and ask until, until I get up and do it. And when I get up and do it, you know, sometimes while I'm in the process, I think to myself, man, my poor kids. <laughs> but it's okay because sometimes God is like that too. <laughs> God says, I want you to pursue me. I want you to ask. I want you to seek. I want you to knock. God wants us to engage in that relationship with him. My kids keep asking me, do you know why? Because they know that, that I'm going to do it. And sometimes when in our prayer life, and we keep asking God, sometimes we keep asking and, and not really knowing if we should keep asking because we don't know if God wants to do it. We should be assured, not for that thing particularly, but God's desire is to answer us. So maybe sometimes it's yes. Maybe sometimes it's no. Maybe sometimes it's wait. But God says, my kids want to hear from me. They keep asking me. I want to engage with them. And we have to also remember that there's a, there's a spiritual battle happening right now all around us that we cannot even see. There's things that are happening that are determining the eternal life of people that you meet and work with and talk to on a daily basis. 
And notice in that prayer, Jesus says one of the top things, holy be your name, and then the very next thing, your kingdom come. This is what we're talking about in Micah chapter 4. Your kingdom come. And Jesus instructs his disciples, you guys want to learn how to pray? Pray for the coming of God's holy kingdom. Oh, that's going to be some good stuff, you guys. 1 Corinthians says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You cannot even comprehend the good things that God has in store for those who love him. You can't even comprehend it. I try to explain to people too, this world is a sinful world. You go to these beautiful places like Yosemite or the beach and you take pictures and you put them on Instagram and it's so wonderful and beautiful. Listen, the, the new heavens and the new earth that God is creating for us is, is, is beyond anything that you can see on this earth in its sinful condition. Because remember, sin affected the entire planet. And you think those places are paradise? You're in for a grand surprise to see the kingdom of God and that he wants you to be a part and he wants you to be expecting and looking forward to it. How do you feel when something exciting is coming up? How do you feel? Excited, anxious, worried, concerned. It's a wedding date. It's a due date. It's a new job. It's something that you've been waiting for, and there's this, this expectancy, this, this desire to have it happen. When I was growing up, this was like my biggest problem as a little kid. I always wanted to be older than I was. I always hung out with kids that were older than me. I wanted to be 10 because 10 was double digits. And very, very few people make it to triple digits. So if you're in the double digit category, you're like with everybody else. I didn't want to be a single digit person anymore. I was tired of it. And when my 10th birthday came, I was excited and you know how long it lasted? It lasted very, very short because the next thing I was really excited was being a teenager because teenagers are cool, man. And maybe I'm a double digit now, but, but I want to be slick like them. And then as soon as I was a teenager, what was it? I wanted to drive. And I never really fully, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I never really fully enjoyed the season that I was in while I was growing up. Because as soon as I was driving, I couldn't wait to move out. And I couldn't wait to get a job. And I couldn't wait to the next thing. And I couldn't wait to get married. And I couldn't wait to have kids. And now I'm thinking like, oh man, life is hard sometimes. God, can you take all this stuff back and I could be single for a little bit? I'm kidding. I'm joking. But you know the stuff that happens with life. The pressures, the responsibilities. And I always wanted the next thing. And now, by the grace of God, I, I, I would like to say this in full confidence, and I believe that I can. I really want to be content with where God has me today. Right now. Not looking at the past and how good it was. Not looking at the future and what may be. 
but today and look at it truly as a gift from God that he's given me that I can do things today that I cannot do tomorrow and that I cannot change in yesterday. I think this is something that we really need to be serious about in our walks with the Lord. But in Micah 4, it's also something that we should look forward to with having this restoration that's going to take place, not just for the nation of Israel specifically, but for uh, the whole world, for you, for me, in our relationship with God. It's going to be more incredible than you could ever think. You think right now that you have a good relationship with God. Wait till you can chill with Him and hang out because God likes to chill. He made a whole day just for chilling. He called it the Sabbath. He said, just chill, chill out, relax, hang out. No, we got to be busy. We got to be doing stuff. I just said, chill out, man. Because that's God's heart. He wants fellowship. He wants to be with us. We're going to be in this perfect kingdom with him. We're going to see a little bit about how that is going to look like in one of the most descriptive chapters in the whole Bible of what the millennial kingdom will look like. And remember, as we prefaced in in, uh, Luke before we started, in the, in the prayer, Jesus instructs them to pray, uh, pray for the kingdom to come. Remember, this is something that they were chomping at the bit for already anyway. They thought Jesus was going to set up the kingdom right then and there. They thought he was already present to usher in the kingdom, and he's telling them to continue to seek it and to continue to pray. Isn't that interesting? Right when you think you have something in the hand. What do we need to pray for your, the kingdom for, Jesus? It's happening right now. He's like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's how you need to approach the Father. We don't have tomorrow. We don't hold tomorrow. Ask God and seek God for tomorrow today. Micah chapter 4. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples shall flow to it. The latter days, the end times, approaching the end when when the earth is is, uh, approaching its expiration date. In the latter days, God is going to fulfill all of his promises to the nation of Israel and specifically to Jerusalem. And it says there in the bottom of verse 1, and peoples shall flow to it. There's going to be a restoration that happens in the nation of Israel that is going to be way more incredible than we have even seen today. You guys remember that not 50 years ago, There was no nation of Israel. Like, let's not forget that. It's easy to lose context sometimes. But 50 years ago, there was no Israel. There was no land. There was no Jerusalem that the Jews inhabited. And it was like like this, like with the flip of a switch that God restored the land, ushered the people back into the land, and started to and is continuing to restore the land to fulfill the promises that he made to them in the Old Testament. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. This is very important for us to realize and understand because if God is serious about the promises that he made to the nation of Israel, then we can be sure that he's serious about the promises that he makes to us. 
And if he's not serious about the promises he made to Israel, and it doesn't matter and it's not a big deal, then we don't need to have confidence that he's going to fulfill his promises to us. You know, um, Lord bless her soul, my grandma, I love her. She said this to me one time, and it kind of bothered me. I think I talked to my parents about it. She, she made me a promise. She said, hey, Tim, I promise I'm going to do this if you do this. And I did it. I'm like, hey, are you going to, you know, do your thing? Like, can I get that thing? And she's like, oh, no. And I said, why? You promise. You know, she said to me, I'll never forget this. She said, promises are made to be broken, Tim. I said, you, I'm going to kick you in the shin. You promised me. And, you know, she was sweet anyway. She, so she probably did it. She was probably joking around. But that's not what promises are for. Promises aren't just to flippantly say things and then not do them. God made promises, and you know he's righteous, and he's going to fulfill those things. He's going to do those things. He's doing it in the midst of discipline here. He's already assuring them for tomorrow. You guys are going to be disciplined. You're going to be raked. You're going to be thrown out of the land, all these things. But, but there is going to be a restoration there is going to be my love poured out on you and my promises fulfilled in the latter days. Verse 2, many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We mentioned last week that in the Old Testament times, God's presence, I think it was actually on Wednesday as we're going through Exodus, God's presence would dwell in the temple, in the holy of holy place inside the temple. And that after Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Jesus giving access into the holiest place, the holy of holies, where the presence of God would dwell on the mercy seat of the tabernacle, right? After Jesus ripped the veil with his death and gave everybody free access. Then we see Pentecost that he fills all of the new church, those who place faith with Jesus Christ. He fills them with the Holy Spirit. And then not too much longer after in 70 AD, the Romans destroy Jerusalem and they tear down the temple, not leaving one stone on another. The presence of God was visibly not there anymore. The temple was gone and it was the people who were the temples of the Holy Spirit that God sent out into all the world. In the millennial kingdom, when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning, there's going to be a, a headquarter set up in Jerusalem. And people are going to desire to go to the city of God to be in his presence. Now, we're going to have uh, the same relationship uh, or similar relationship to, to what we have now, but even better obviously. It's going to be paradise. That's going to last for a thousand years. We'll have to get into that a little bit later because we, we still have a lot to go through. But the nations are going to say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk his paths. Do you know what I thought when I read that verse? Oh God, how I want you to teach me your ways. I want to be like you. I still pray like that. God, I want to be like you. I want to treat people how you want them to be treated, how you would treat them. I want to walk in your paths. And then I thought, like when you look around at this world, that's what everybody's doing. 
They're looking for somebody else to teach them their ways. There's self-help books and, and these um, celebrities and, and all these people. And, and there's people that will spend money on seminars and, or, or go travel across the United States or around the world to meet with a person and, and beg them, teach, teach me how to be like you. All the basketball players looking up to these iconic guys, they want to be just like them. The social media uh, boom and blast right now and how people can go viral and, and we, we're attracted to them. And if their fame sticks, there's people that they, they begin to have a following. In fact, that's what we call it, right? You follow somebody. And you follow an, ideolo- an ideology or you, or you follow a way to get rich quick or you, you follow people and, and you start to, to uh, put other things out of your life so you can focus more on this when what really has the most worth isn't what those, things have accomp- those people have accomplished but w- the kind of relationship that you can have with God and say, I want to follow you. I want to be like you. I want you to teach me. I want to do an internship for you, Jesus. I don't care about what this world has to offer. I don't care about what they call success or fame. The people during that time are just going to long to be with God so that they can teach, so he can teach them. And we have a, a, a little bit of that privilege now. We can pray and ask. But then they're going to they're gonna flood to Jerusalem to be in the presence of God so that he can teach them his ways and that they can walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. We see through these verses that this isn't something that's going to happen locally. This is going to be global. And the, the king of Israel, the king of Jerusalem, you guys know who that's going to be? Jesus. <laughs> Is a trick question. Jesus, the King of Kings, is going to rule from Jerusalem, and he's saying, or it's saying that he's going to uh, judge between many peoples. He's not just going to rule over the nation of Israel. He's going to rule over the whole world and rebuke strong nations afar off. You know, when you have in conflict with nations, when you look at uh, the political, you know, world politics. The closer you are, the tensions are much higher. You know, North Korea, South Korea, uh, the United States, Cuba. The closer you are, the more tension there is. Because there's a, it's, it's like that moment when you see two people, two guys getting ready to fight and they're getting right in each other's faces. The, the closeness, the, the proximity allows for them to do something quickly. But when the nation is far off, that's what made the Cold War uh, with uh, the USA and Russia so miserable. Because you didn't really know how far they could reach. You didn't really know what they were capable of. And it was a little bit distant. But you couldn't rebuke them, even though, you know, just because they were far away, because they could retaliate some way. And it was, it was a difficult time. But Jesus is going to have this kind of reign over the entire earth that he's going to rebuke nations that are far off. Because he has the authority and the power to rebuke them. 
and the people will beat their swords into plowshares. Why? Because the sword's not necessary anymore. We have this thing that we don't, we don't even need it. Do you guys remember? Have you heard people talk about when they used to be able to leave their doors unlocked at night? Does anybody remember those days? We, we had some days like that when I was very young that we, you know, we were safe. We felt safe and we didn't feel threatened whatsoever and we didn't even need to lock our doors. And there's different parts where you drive through even town here. There's parts that are more comfortable. There's, there's parts that not one entrance into the house is accessible. Bars on the windows, the whole nine yards. But what's the necessity of having bars on the windows if there isn't anybody to break in and steal your stuff, right? What's the use of this sword? Well, we don't have any use for it anymore to the point where we're going to transform what its purpose is from fighting to tilling the ground. And tilling the ground was where they got their livelihood. It was something that would help or go towards them, God taking care of them. Their, their spears into pruning hooks to take care of their tall trees because the land was rich and growing. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. These are the promises that God has made to Israel, but these are also the promises that God has made to us. And sometimes we need to be reminded, is this good news? We don't need to be anxious about tomorrow or worried Tomorrow's going to come and go, but ultimately there's going to come a day when there's an expectation of God's presence being on the earth and us getting to have the fullness of the relationship. And these are some of the benefits that are come, going to come with that. But everyone, verse 4, shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. There's not going to be any slavery or lording it over each other. Everybody's going to have their own vineyards. Everybody's going to have their own vines, and they're going to rest and take care of uh, the, the land that they've been given by the Lord. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. It's not just forever. We say forever but it's forever and ever. You ever have a BFF before? Yeah. We're best friends. We're best friends forever. Have you ever had a best friend forever and ever? <laughs> it's like the next step. And this is the kind of relationship that we're going to have with God. We're not just going to be best friends forever. We're going to be best friends in his kingdom forever and ever. It goes beyond what we can even expect to happen while we're here on this earth. In these two verses, uh, two of these verses through uh, verse 2 and 4, we see four things that God is promising of this coming kingdom of His that He's given us that is going to be our benefit. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look at chapter or verses 2 and 3 again, and then we're going to highlight these things and then move on. Number 1, verse 2, He will teach us His ways. In the new kingdom, we'll have freedom to know God, we'll have freedom to access God, and we'll have freedom from ignorance. That's a good, that's a good thing to have, right? Freedom from ignorance. Sometimes people, uh, they don't respond a certain way or they don't do certain things, not because they don't want to, but because they're ignorant of the fact. 
Ignorance is going to be largely done away with in the kingdom of God because everybody will have access to be taught by him and the people will go in droves to be taught. Freedom of knowledge of him and a freedom from ignorance. Number two is verse three. Neither shall they learn war anymore. We're going to have freedom from warfare. Is anybody tired of all these wars going on? I'm so tired of discussing the reasons why it would or would not be okay. (laughs) I don't care if it's okay or if it's not okay. I just want to stop fighting. I just want people to stop being killed. These soldiers, even in America, they're not just dying over in these foreign countries. They're coming back and they're broken The suicide rate is through the roof. They're turning to things that they don't know what to do. We have to be the first ones to step up and be able to offer them Jesus Christ. Because it's only through Jesus can they receive that healing that they need and and, and being broken and ripped apart through, through warfare. You know, right now, I've had Pastor John Miller come and and share with you guys a couple times. This is a good reminder for us to be praying for Pastor John Miller and his wife Priscilla and their team. They're going to the northeast of town specifically to minister to people near or on the Air Force Base. Praise the Lord. We need to send them with our prayers and support, and we've told them before, hey, we're a young church, but we want to back you guys. We want to bless you guys. We want to help you guys. So however we can, let us know. And then John, in return, has been a blessing when he comes and shares with us as well. So we have freedom from warfare. Verse 3, verse 4, everyone shall sit under his own vine. We're going to have freedom from want. There's not going to be need like I, I want or, or I need these things. It's going to be in abundance. And it's going to be part of God's kingdom the way that it should be and the way that he wants it. Verse 4 also, number 4, no one shall make them afraid. Freedom from fear. Man, how many of you guys are afraid of stuff? There's all kinds of questions I'm just getting to the point now where I, again, like I, I'm, you know, I always try to be pretty honest with you guys, but I'm getting to the point now where when my kids were little, I didn't really worry about when they were getting older, but now they're getting older. And I'm like, oh man, what's it going to be like when they're teenagers? And am I a good enough dad? Should I be doing other things now? And there's almost this type of fear that wants to creep in. And I'm like, no, like we love the Lord. We love our kids We want to keep going in the direction that we've been going and blessing them and loving them. God is good. When you're bound by fear, it has an effect on the rest of your life. Your decisions are made through that fear of that thing. In the kingdom of God, there's going to be no fear of anything. There's no threats. There's no fear. Can you imagine living in that kind of society? The doors are all unlocked. Everybody's, you know, melting their guns down to, you know, make toys for the kids or whatever. That was just my little thing I threw in there. But it's going to be this place where the fulfillment of God's desire and passion for people on the earth is going to be fulfilled. 
For all people, verse 5, once again, for all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Verse 6, in that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation, so the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. From now on, even forever, and you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now there is a big emphasis, obviously, on Israel and Jerusalem because God is speaking to his chosen people, the Israelites. And we've already talked about how this affects us and him speaking about the nation and how these promises being fulfilled are going to overflow onto us. There's people, uh, again, I, I feel like we should touch on, there's people out there that do not believe that God is going to fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel. It's called replacement theology, if you've ever heard of it before. And these people actually believe that the Christian church has replaced the nation of Israel and God is going to fulfill his promises to her, to us instead. And this is very, very flawed theology. Again, because if God is not going to be faithful to the nation of Israel, then why should he be faithful to us? We're part of the blessing were ushered in and brought in were those who were on the highways and byways that were invited in for the wedding supper of the Lamb. But there is a distinct difference, and we are instructed as believers to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, ultimately so that this can be, will be fulfilled. Does that make sense to everybody? Now why cry aloud, verse 9, is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field. And to Babylon you shall go. There, shall be, there you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. There's a little, a little snippet in there. God is reminding them how glorious the kingdom is going to be, his kingdom in the future. But this doesn't change the fact that they have consequences to pay and they're still going out. Because God cannot restore them and save them and bring them back unless they're, they're taken out and held responsible for what they were doing. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now also many nations have gathered against you who say, Let her be defiled and let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel. For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Look at verse 12. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. <laughs> what do you think God is thinking right now? Whatever kind of situation are you in? What are your struggles? What are your worries? What are your concerns? Your thoughts can surely be on God that he knows what you're going through and he's going to take care of you. The world, they have no clue what the thoughts of God are. 
but the thoughts of God are, even though there's going to be destruction for a time, there's going to be restoration. That's what his intention is. Nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. All these threats are coming around about. There's people who hate Israel right now all over the place. They're surrounded by people who hate them, who keep threatening to push them in the sea, who have tried to pass laws and, and international law to have Israel taken off the map and all of these things. And God says, they don't know my thoughts. They don't know what my counsel is, what my intentions are. In fact, I'm going to take them, if they keep it up, to the threshing floor. Do you know what the threshing floor was for? was to get the grain out of the wheat. Do you know how you get the grain out of the wheat? You beat it. God says, in a very nice way, God is a gentleman, right? God says, I'm going to beat them up. <laughs> I'm going to beat them up. And the chaff is going to get blown away and the wheat's going to fall because they do not understand how precious you are to me. And that is the same type of thing that God has his thoughts towards you. And the enemy wants to come in and steal and rob and kill and destroy. And we could be confident in our God that he has every capacity to beat the enemy up, to dismantle his, his schemes. And the best way to do that when we're presented with that kind of situation is to cry out to God, to give him those issues, to give him those things in the enemy coming against so that he can be shown mighty on our behalf. That's a promise that goes to both the nation of Israel and his church. He's a jealous God. That doesn't just mean he wants our undivided worship and attention, but I mean he gives us undivided care and attention as well. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples. Not only is God going to beat them down on the threshing floor, but now he's saying, I'm going to equip you to beat them. You guys are not just going to stand by and watch me destroy these people who are coming against you. I'm going to equip you with horns of iron. I'm going to give you hooves of bronze, and you're going to trample them. You're going to thresh them like you would thresh wheat on the threshing floor. You will beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughters of troops. He has laid siege marks against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. Now this chapter 4, we're talking about the kingdom. Uh, we, we got a glimpse of that. Thy kingdom come. Let's not get too wrapped up in the kingdoms of this world. Amen? It's a takeaway and application for today. Don't worry about what it's going to be like in January next year. Don't worry about it. Like there's still things that you can do. But seek and ask God to be more intentional to be part of his kingdom that's present now and that's fully going to come physically like his word promises. 
But God, in, in instructing the nation of Israel in these things, again, the context is they're going to be disciplined. God promises there's going to be restoration. And then he's going to enable them to be the nation, ultimately, that he, that he had called them to be before, that they had failed to do. And sometimes in our own lives, we make mistakes and we feel like failures. We respond the wrong way to God, to the leading of his Holy Spirit. And I want you to know this, that in God's economy, there is always intentions for restoration. There's always intentions for him to take you to a place and bless you with with what he wanted you to have before, but you kind of got taken off course a little bit. And I need that. I need God to have that understanding with me. I want to be living on a daily basis knowing that not only am I submitted to God, but if I get off course, God is faithful to discipline me, bring me back on course, and he still has something in store for me. The gifts and call of God are irrevocable. He doesn't just give you a gift one day and then take it away for you, from you and then say, well, now you're just done. You're benched, you're on the shelf. God doesn't do that. But he wants us to go through the restoration process. And a lot of times what I see with Christians through counseling and talking with them, they're not willing to go through the restoration process. It's too hard, too much guilt, too much shame, and they, and they end up becoming more comfortable in the failure than in the riches that God wants for them in the future. That the riches that God wants for them in the restoration. Does that make sense? Man, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall but God's heart is to restore. God's heart is that he has preordained good works for us to walk in, that we get up and we continue following him so we can walk in those good works. And if we think, we know that we have a right relationship with God now and we enjoy it, we, we love coming to church and seeing our brothers and sisters and having the life that we have and how God has changed our, our, our entire person, our being. He's changed everything about me. If those things are good and true and acceptable and I believe them, that the kingdom that's coming is going to be far more greater than you can even comprehend. So live in the kingdom now. Be blessed by God's presence and the access that he's given to you. But look forward to thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, let's pray. God, we love being part of your family. Just like John chapter 17, verses 2 and 3 says, Eternal life isn't just eternal life. Eternal life is to know you, the one true God. We want people to know you, God, like we know you. Really, our hearts cry out to you. Help us, enable us, prepare us, equip us as you have with your Holy Spirit to preach to others, to plead with others to submit their lives to you so that they can understand and realize what abundant life really is, what it really looks like. Because just as much as we've been blessed by your presence and our relationship with you, we want you to bless them. We want them 
to know you, God. We want them to be blessed in your presence. We want to see restoration happen with them, Lord. We want to see restoration continue to happen in your church. And we know that that's what your heart is as our God. Love and restoration and mercy. And we pray that for our country today. God, we pray that you would restore us to a right relationship with you. We pray, God, that you would restore the relationship with the political elite and and everybody else. That there wouldn't be distinctions, that you would bring down those things that divide people, that you would show how the enemy has created a smokescreen with the hatred between the races. And that we can reach out and love people, not based on demographics, but based on your love, that you love all people of the world. God, we want to be that example. We need your spirit to be able to do it rightly. We ask that we would in Jesus' name. Amen.